Black Hill Energy, heating homes across County Armagh. Fill up your tank for a rainy day with County Armagh's fastest growing fuel company. For latest prices, visit our website at www.blackhillenergy.net or call us today on 02838 344 Black Hill Energy, Ansborough Industrial Park, Lurgan. Meanwhile, Colin and his bouncer pays filming very quickly, jump in the Range Rover and clear off. They actually left you. Left me standing in the middle of the shop with these women screaming at me. I wasn't in the edit, um, but the episode one had a few dodgy voiceovers, I thought. They actually used voiceovers. I, um, well, we recorded we recorded all the audio on the day, but I think some of the voices may be changed for episode one, but I wasn't in the edit, so I can't, I can't say that 100%. Okay. Creative people can be difficult, um, so some of them are absolutely lovely and some of them have their, some of them like the show, they have power as well. And we were all there in, and when Billy Ocean started singing and everybody waving their arms and dancing with Billy Ocean, it was just, it was surreal, you're actually <laughs> yeah, laughing going, this is nuts. And then <laughs> the, ne me. the next day, um, uh, Hasselhoff turned up the half. and welcome to this week's Arma Eye podcast hosted by me Elaine Ingram. Today I'll be speaking to Stephen Dara who's the second assistant director on the huge BBC hit crime drama Bloodlands. He also has the same job on the even more successful line of duty which is back on our screens at the end of this month. Stephen has worked on countless TV shows and movies from the fall to Dracula Untold and he's just started work on the follow-up to Normal People um, conversations with friends. Stephen has the inside scoop on everything that goes on on the set and um, a lot more besides particularly about some well-known actors and he takes us right behind the scenes and um, where all the magic happens. Hi Stephen, um, it's nice to meet you. Hello. You are an assistant director. Yes. And you have worked on so many fantastic productions over the years. Um, most recently, I just have to say that you're um, you were working on Bloodlands, which is something that everybody's probably been watching the last couple of weeks. In fact, I watched the second episode myself last night, and uh, no spoilers, but um, it took a turn I wasn't expecting. Yes. <laughs> but um, first of all, um, I suppose how how did you how long have you been doing this, and how did you get into this job? Uh, I, my God, let me see. I actually studied computer science in Jordanstown. Um, and then I finished that and I always wanted to work in film. I always wanted to work in TV and film. So I came out with a computer science degree and then thought, right, um, next thing I was doing a journalism course and a TV production course and I got a placement in the BBC in Belfast. Now a lot of people come through the BBC in placement but it's very hard to actually keep a job. So I got in but I loved it. I had, a, I had the perfect job in the BBC. Um, I worked on a, well, I, I worked in many departments but the main one was at, TV show called First Stop with Christine Blakely and Ralph McLean. It was an entertainment show. And imagine I was 21 coming into the BBC. This was amazing. And uh, the show was going and interviewing DJs, uh, cinema reviews, anything entertainment based. So I was getting free tickets to premieres all over the UK and Ireland. 
interviewing Jack Black and famous actors, Girls Aloud, you name it. Me and Christine Blakely and Jack had a few pints in London one night after an interview. But, um, that must have been brilliant. I love Jack Black. Yeah, he's a, he's a really funny character. Is he, he is, actually as funny in real life as he is? He's very funny. He had a bit of a thing for Christine. Oh, uh, really? Her. Yeah, he loved the <laughs> accent. And Christine, very good looking woman. Uh, so, yeah. This is before she was married. Is before she had met Frank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is going back. I worked in BBC from 2001 to 2005, 2006. And then I done my first film after that. But yeah, so working, I sat opposite Christine in the BBC, which once again as a young man was was brilliant. And yeah. she is the nicest, and Ralph McLean as well, two lovely people. And they really helped me and sort of helped me where I wanted to go. Uh, and then, yeah, be, left BBC because I wanted to make films. And what was your first film then? First film was The Secret Life of Words, which was an interesting introduction. It was a Tim Robbins film. Um, Tim Robbins, who's married yeah. to Susan Sarandon, and we filmed majority of it on an oil rig. So, um, having never been on an oil rig like most people, I was being flown out to an oil rig every day, uh, and then the oil rig docked in Belfast for us, and that was a crazy experience. Like, I mean, who gets to run around in the depths of an oil rig and you're four, six hundred foot in the air, being lifted by a steel crane every day in a cage. Um, in the wind and the rain that Ireland usually provides. So that was an eye-opener, going from a nice cushy office in BBC Belfast, um, where you went out in the odd shoot to actually shooting a film with hundreds of crew and extras and everything was a real eye-opener, I have to say. And what does your... So you're an assistant director. What does that job actually entail? So, yeah, everybody knows the director. Yeah. Um, so the director is a team below him. He has the first assistant director, the second, the third, and then he has other extras, coordinators and runners. So for me, I started off as a runner, as an AD runner, and then built my way up to third AD, then second AD. So the runner makes the coffee. Runner makes the coffee and does everything from stopping people on the street from walking into shop to going and grabbing actors, everything. Um, as you move up the ladder, um, third AD and the first AD work. Well, sorry, I should explain this. Most people don't understand how films work. So you have a production office. That's where the producers and all the paperwork's done. You have a unit base. That's where the second AD, makeup, costume, a lot of the trucks are parked, the sparks would be there, and then you have the set where you're actually filming. Usually the unit base and the set are very close together because when the actors aren't filming, they'll be at the unit base. Yeah. Um, so as a second AD, I manage the unit base, and then the first AD manages the set. So I would look after all the actors, all their schedules, look at the shooting schedule, make sure we're prepped for everything that's coming up in the next few days. So I'm always, as well as supplying what's needed on the day of the set, I'm always looking ahead and planning for that as well. So um, it's a very busy job. Well, yeah, I'd say, you know, it's probably down to the minutest details. It's your, you know, what if somebody's missing a wig or, you know. It, I mean, time is money is a, is a very famous saying, but in the film in industry, the film it industry. really is. Every penny counts. So Especially mistakes. when you're dealing with big movies and big stars. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, um, well, that's that's another topic, the actors. And, uh, oh, we'll get into yeah, that now. We'll get into surely. that, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, it is, it's, yeah. Very much every single second counts and it, it costs a lot of money to have a crew, like most of our crews are 120, anything up to 250 people. You have a lot of equipment out every day, everything is expensive in film making, so every second does count. So mistakes are not really allowed. You have to be on the ball and I think that's why I've kept getting rehired because I'm, be, I, I'm often told I'm quite good um, at what I do. So yeah, uh, you have to be over absolutely everything. So tell me then, um, you're you've you've been working on um, line. You've worked in Line of Duty as well. I've done, and I think, four seasons of Line of Duty. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's um, been hugely popular. I think the um, 
um, the whole crime drama thing has really taken off in Belfast. I think we started with The Fall, which you also worked on. Yes, worked on The Fall with Gillian and, and Jamie, yes. What's Gillian um, like and Jamie? Uh, both both very talented actors. Um, I think I can tell you a funny story about Jamie. Jamie, I can't remember which season, I think it was season two of The Fall. Um, he had just come back from set and he had just got, if I'm right in saying he had just got married before we started shooting. And as he pulled up to the unit base, we had about 300 young females at the gates screaming his name and couldn't get the car through. We had to get security down to remove them to even get his car into the unit base. And I was standing at the back of my office as a truck because we're obviously we're mobile. And I was standing at the back of the truck and Jimmy got out of the car and he laughed. I was like, oh, you're a bit popular today. And he went, when I, when I was 17, I couldn't get one girl to go to the formal <laughs> with me. But now that I'm married with a kid... I have 300 young women screaming my name. Um, but Down's the brakes. That's it, that's it. Oh, no, Jamie's a lovely guy. Uh, really, re- genuinely a really nice guy. You know, he's um, come from a good background and uh, he's very talented. But I've worked with Jamie, I think now, God, four or five different productions over the years. Yeah. You didn't work on Jadotville, did you? The uh, Jack- no, I didn't do that, no. Yeah, no, that was very good. I enjoyed that. Um, and what about Gillian? Uh, Gillian's very talented, yes. Very talented. Um, very talented act- actor, yes. Um, that was, <laughs> I mean, I don't get starstruck. It's part of the job. I mean, we, we treat actors like on the same level as us because if, you know, we don't ask for autographs, we don't ask for photographs, anything like, no, that, uh, like be that. because very professional. Exactly. We have to be on the same level as them. When you work in this industry, you realise that everybody is just human. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yes, some of them look spectacular when they arrive, but most of them went through three hours of makeup to look that spectacular. You know, the yeah. photographs and the, vis- the video that you see on screen, that is not how people look in real life. And it's hard to well, portray that's that. Co- that's quite comforting to know. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, like... Um, no, I'm trying to think. I don't know if I can mention a name, but what one very famous uh, female in the UK that I work with, I mean, every day had three hours of her makeup before she ever stepped out. And if you've seen her can before you tell it, us who it is? Um, <laughs> if you look through my MDB, it was a few years ago, and it's a very famous, attractive woman. Uh, so you can work it out yourself. Okay. But yeah, I mean, she would arrive at, you know, quarter to six in the morning, get out of the car, and don't get me wrong, attractive lady, but when she came out of a professional her like two BAFTA winning her makeup artist working on you for three hours and a costume designer designing costumes specifically for you when she stepped out to go on set she looked like a different person you know right. so people always have to remember that like what you see on screen there's a lot of magic goes on to make them people look the way they do they don't yeah. look like that if you've seen them you know going for a cup of coffee down the street I worked uh, on the Keith Lemon film Lee I was going to ask you about that because Working on, working, going from, you know, crime dramas and things like that to something like, yeah. I is it funny working on funny things or is it just the same? It is. No, it is funny. And it's, you like to work on a comedy every now and again, yes, because it is lighthearted on the set. Um, Lee, uh, Lee's once again, very intelligent man, but Lee had a funny thing that he would, could be in full costume, but the bandage on his hand, which is part of his character, he would be Lee Francis until he put the bandage on. And the minute he put the bandage on, he wasn't Lee anymore. He was now... So this was his trigger? This was the way he um, he prepped himself? As an actor, yes. It. So he'd be speaking to you as normal with his English accent as Lee. And then the minute that bandage went on, you didn't know what he was going to come out with. And I could be rehearsing lines with him or anything in his trailer. And we'd be going through stuff. And then the bandage goes on and his whole attitude changes. And it was, it was magical to see. Fun thing I have to tell you was on... Um, Keith Lemon's film as well, uh, Billy Ocean. We had Billy Ocean over, and uh, like not that it was a massive Billy Ocean fan, but everybody knows his hit. Well, at my age anyway, everybody knows the hits from Go the eighties. Like it. no, not saying <laughs> no. Um, 
But Billy came over and we hired out, um, we had a big massive party sequence in Revolution to Cuba, I think it's called now. Uh, Billy Ocean was over to do a bit part because he's supposed to be Lee Francis's father, or Keith Lemon's father as a joke. Us and all the crew ended up singing with Billy Ocean and a live <laughs> band. We got guys from Portadown who are a real band, we got them in the bass backing band. Sounds like a dream sequence and out of Dallas. It was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Billy Ocean is the best crack and he sat, never been in Ireland before, sorry he was, he was in Dublin once for a gig he told us, but uh, never been up north and he had the best day with us and he talked about lifting the crew like it was a hard job and we were all there in and when Billy Ocean started singing and everybody waving their arms and dancing with Billy Ocean it was just it was surreal you're actually yeah, laughing going this is nuts and then <laughs> the, ne- me. the next day um, uh, Hasselhoff turned up the Hoff and uh, David Hasselhoff uh, like I'm 40 now I grew up watching Night Raider and all yeah. them shows so I mean David Hasselhoff massive massive uh, fame and um, he turned up and I didn't know what to expect and he was the nicest guy and he turned up and he's very tall like I mean I'm not tall I'm only five foot nine but he's about six foot four and he got out and was the best crack and just really he was with us for three days shoot and he came down went to the set took photographs with everybody was so polite was so nice I mean talk about somebody living up to the legend like when he left the crew were genuinely upset we were like, can we not just keep him around? Can we not just pay him <laughs> more money and just keep him with us? Like, a He's lot huge of in Germany, isn't he? Sorry? He's huge in Germany. Oh, yeah. yeah. Up to the Berlin Wall and all, yeah. yeah. Oh, he sings all the time. You couldn't <laughs> stop him singing. Every time we went into the trailer, he was singing at me and everything. And sort of guy, you know, would just, like, stop on the street. Kids seeing him and stop on the street or young ones. And he'd walk out of his way to go to meet them take a photograph with him just because he can, because he's a nice bloke. And, just, yeah, I mean, he was one that everybody thought he could be nasty or he could be very tricky. Absolute gent. Just yeah. the best crack. Um, but yeah, a lot of, actually that film had a lot of famous people in Space Girls and in Girls Allowed. Um, yeah, I met a lot of people in that one. And what about, have you, uh, any of the actors you've, you've, you've met, have you had any difficult characters or divas or, uh, you know, demanding stars? Uh, yeah, absolutely, yes. Um, but I will, I, I will only eat the red M&M's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had, with I can't, unfortunately, I can't give any names. Um, but, but you can give us a clue. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've had, um, I mean, yeah, I'm trying, to, <laughs> I'm trying to diplomatically think what I can tell you. Um, I mean, I've had actors who would only deal with me at the base. So I have a team, when I'm running the unit base, obviously we have a lot of actors and we have extras coming through and everything. But we had, I remember one actor who would only deal with me, so I couldn't send any of my runners. I could have 10 runners there, or assistants. So I'd be in the middle of a meeting with producers going through what we're doing, and if she would scream my name, the trailer door would open, and they just hear, Stephen, Stephen! And I would have to drop everything. Try and recognise that voice now. <laughs> and, I'd sit, and she'd just want her lunch order, you know, but I'd have to go take the order, walk around the corner, give it to my assistant, one of my assistants. They would go and get it. I would go back into the meeting, and then when it's ready, I would have to go and meet the assistant again. Is that just being difficult for the sake of being difficult? Or yes. was there any reasoning behind that? Uh, creative people can be difficult. Um, so some of them are absolutely lovely, and some of them have their... Some of them like to show they have power as well. You know, yeah. I worked with another female actor who was in a big show and then a male actor was coming in and to give you an idea we had scenes in a hospital for one day and the day was split evenly between both actors so one actor had so many scenes at the lunchtime the other one afterwards and the established actor in the show wasn't too happy about this other male coming in so um, she delayed all her scenes and took up the whole day of shooting 
to prove a point to the other actor that was joining the show that this is my show, this is not your show. So he got maybe an hour to shoot six hours worth of footage, whereas she took nine hours of the day to shoot her four hours worth of footage. But it was a power play just to say, yeah. this is my show, please be aware of this. And, you know, so yeah, you do, you do get awkward actors. Lots of other things I can't tell you, unfortunately, because I would be sued. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but it isn't necessarily always the big actors too. Sometimes you find that maybe up and coming actors who might think that they're bigger than their boots. Uh, uh, well, yes. I mean, one, one of the issues, not as much now, but when reality TV started, we, we had a lot of reality TV stars coming over doing bit parts and they were absolute nightmares. They, they were people who wanted to be famous but maybe didn't all always have a talent. They were famous because they were in Big Brother or something like it. Yeah. So they always seen fame as this thing where they go and get treated like royalty everywhere and they would arrive over and they would be far worse than the big actors. To be honest, most of the established actors are actually the real professional yeah, ones. Yeah, I've heard that before. It's the yeah. ones that are climbing the ladder that want a name for themselves that seem to be more awkward. But yeah. like honestly, the majority, I'd say 90% of the actors I've worked with are lovely people and they get on like... They're under a lot of pressure as well. It's hard to be on screen. You know, it's a tricky job. A lot of lines. You think of Line of Duty, if you've ever watched it. Yes, I have. The technical terms that the actors, that Vicky and Martin and yeah. Adrian have to learn these codes, they learn all that by heart. You know, there's no dummy cards for them. And they're sitting there maybe shooting the scenes where in a glass cabinet, which could go on on TV for, it could be a 12-minute scene. That could take five days to shoot. With really? them in that one glass cabinet for five days, constantly doing the same lines over and over again. Because... You have seven people at the table, that's seven different angles and all the action. And they could be sitting there, like once one of our cameramen fell asleep behind the camera in one of them rooms because he'd been doing it for three days solid. And the camera just started tilting down while we were watching it and realised he'd actually fallen asleep. Oh but, my know, God. Yeah. So it's a magic of film, really, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it is what, it, what, it, what ends up on, the, on your screen is something that takes a long long time to get there well we would shoot on a normal day I, well yeah maybe I should tell you this so my, my normal day living in Armagh mostly working in Belfast but I've worked all over Ireland UK and Europe but if I'm shooting in Belfast I would leave the house about half five um, get into work about 6.45 we'd start shooting at eight we'd wrap at seven I'd get away about half seven quarter to eight and That's then I'd get home day. about half eight so I'd leave the house about half five and get home at half eight That's my normal day. So a lot of people that get in the industry as runners don't realise the hours we do and they think there's a lot more glamour. You know, um, when you're doing that, like I was shooting in Germany on a job, we flew home, um, we flew overnight and then went straight to work the next day and I was standing in the morning mountains in the snow and the snow was nearly up to my knees in the mountain and we just flown overnight and then we were shooting, continue shooting. And there's no glamour. We were freezing. We had 200 extras out on the hill. What was that film for? That was a Disney film called The Race. Oh, Um, yes. I saw that in your IMDb. So, yeah, that was, I mean, you don't always get to pick your jobs here. Maybe now more I do because I'm very established. But at the start, you know, jobs came in and, you know, it was a wage and you need to work. So you took a lot of jobs. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm very proud of The Race. But, um, yeah, at the time, it was... What is the worst film you've ever worked on? (laughs) Can you say... (laughs) I probably can say now, yes, it was maybe my second or third film was a film called Johnny Was and it was an action film about, sort of about the IRA and London gangsters. Um, it had Vinnie Jones, uh, Eric LaSalle from ER. ER, if you remember the medical drama, yeah. was very big at the time so Eric had come over for that. And um, we had Vinnie Jones and uh, Patrick Bergman as well, big, big cast. But reading it, I was a runner on it, an AD runner, but reading the script, it had car chases, it had shootouts, it had everything as a kid. Just Me growing up watching 80s action movies, I was like, this is amazing. 
and we shot we shot all these stunts and everything and I'll never forget like finishing it and going this this is amazing you know and then me and one of my other AD friends sat down to watch it when it came out and 15 minutes in we were looking at each other going oh my god this is terrible but um no Johnny was um I hope I don't hurt anybody's feelings here was a terrible film <laughs> yeah but when you're working on it often you don't see that you know when we're working we think we're getting good stuff but yeah, in the final edit, it was, I mean, we watched it and me and my friend were in stitches at the end. And I was thinking like, it was such a good job to work on. Um, but at the end, it was, yeah, not a very, not a very Does that often come down to the editing or does it come down to the actual um, script or the acting? Or um, is it just a bit of everything or can it just one thing can just throw the whole lot off? I mean, budget's always an issue. You know, yeah. movies are very expensive. Um, like to get... The opening of Bloodlands, um, episode one, we had a uh, Range Rover being lifted out of the water. That scene alone, to have the crane there and the Jeep, like, cost thousands and thousands of pounds. And that adds to the production value. So when somebody's watching it, it looks like, you know, there's money spent and that's what you want. But nobody, unless you work in the industry, you can't imagine how expensive it is to actually film things. So for that one shot, and all that, that on screen in Bloodlands was maybe 30 seconds of that car being lifted out. We had to buy two identical Range Rovers. One of them had to be stripped out of its its complete engine taken out. It had to become basically a replica with every single bit of fluid. You have to test the water, so professional dive teams in to test the water. To dip the car in, you then have to do that in an enclosed environment. Then you have to get it retested to make sure nothing's leaked out. I mean, to get the engine out alone was like £8,000. Oh All gosh. the fluids out. And then the divers every day in and out, you know, and that's only 30 seconds. Of, and that's only one tiny part of the shot as well. Yeah. But it adds production value. But to have that crane in there or that car being lifted was probably £30,000 just for a couple of seconds on, on camera. You know, so a lot of the stuff you see looks simple, but actually behind the scenes, there's an awful lot of work to it. Like, yeah, expensive to, work to as make well. it look, yeah, yeah, look the real deal. Um, I don't know if you've seen in episode one, uh, the car bomb attack where petrol bombs don't yes. hit the car. So we shot that up in, I think it was Ballyclare, and we locked off the roads and everything. And I was driving home that night, and the next thing I hear on the radio that there was a petrol bomb, a police car's petrol bomb to oh, no. Ballyclare. And I got home and I said to my wife, I was like, eh, that's interesting, and pulled up BBC News, and yes, people had been had seen the footage, so we'd recorded on their phone, not because we had all our cameras hidden, obviously, to make it you know, look realistic. Somebody on the street had recorded it, and with our extras running towards like, a woman with a pram, and it put this up, as real oh and this went right to work <laughs> my brother's friends in Australia woke up the next morning going what the hell's going on Jared like th this is going on in Northern Ireland they're, they're petrol bombing police cars again and, all. and my brother's like no that's my, that's my brother's TV show this went round the world. People were talking about this for months. But well, at least we you like, know that your um your shot was realistic. Yeah, yeah, that was a good like convincing <laughs> enough. Like, but yeah, I mean, it was funny because it was on episode one. I did see people on Twitter going. That's that clip from last year that I was oh, told they was just, real. They just used shot. news coverage. <laughs> so that's so yeah, you do get that as well. And how was it working on Bloodlands? Uh, Bloodlands was we we should shot Bloodlands from January to March last year. So it was we, before COVID, and you can actually tell by looking at it. You know, when you're looking at the crowd scenes and everything, you're saying, right, there's no way that this was shot during during the pandemic. You no, know, obviously you, you got it wrapped up before then. We finished the day that uh, UK and Ireland went into lockdown. So we finished on the Friday and everything in the lockdown on the Saturday. So we were right to the wire and we knew the lockdown was coming and we were trying to finish it off the day before. So no, Bloodlands was very good. I mean, the island that we shot on, which you've seen in the first couple of episodes, once again, logistical nightmare. We have a crew of 100 and maybe 15 people in that shoot. 
in no matter how many you can't have massive boats in that stretch of water so they're quite small boats and you have to move 120 people basically onto an island along with all the equipment we need which is maybe eight 40 foot trucks on six relatively small boats so logistically absolute nightmare and then you lose light and we were shooting this time of the year so you're losing light about half four or five o'clock in the day so you spend half your day just getting people and equipment over there and then you get a couple of hours of shooting before you lose the light and it is it was so cold i mean we're shooting this time of the year um you know january february march and it was freezing cold the actors were freezing now you might see that on screen but I, you can't understand how cold it was and we all have proper outdoor gear and our yeah, they did look a bit chilly, all right. Oh my God, <laughs> so that so was cold. real. That was real cold. But then you it wouldn't expect really anything less than in in Ireland. You know, it that that whole the whole thing looks like grainy and grim and yeah. um, you know, damp and miserable. <laughs> I mean, they were very much when I read the script. I have to say, what convinced me to do it was the end of episode two, which everybody's probably seen by now. Well, but, don't don't but, say just in case they haven't, because well, that's no, a okay. real. Yeah, so, I, I was watching it last night, and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> I was sitting in this exact room reading the scripts because we I get sent scripts beforehand to say, do you want to do the job? And uh, and when I read the end of episode two, that got me. I was like, okay, that's the hook, and you know, yeah. read on. And what about um? Charlene McKenna, you've worked with her before. She was she was in Jump, that oh, movie. Yeah, I've worked, I've worked with Charlene many times. Charlene is absolutely lovely. She seems lovely. Absolutely I don't know why, lovely. but you know the way sometimes you can just get a vibe off somebody that uh, they seem like they're a genuinely nice person? Completely genuine. She's from Monaghan, she's from Glasslock. Um, actually, I mean, I didn't realise until I met her the first time, but she would have known my cousin. I have family in Monaghan, so they would have been quite friendly growing up. But um, no, Charlene is salt of the earth. I think I've worked with her God, five or six times now. Um, and very good actress. Um, yeah, she is. So very good she's actress. doing very well, and it was a great part for him, Bloodlands, as well. Yeah. And James Nesbitt, what's he like? Ah, uh, Jimmy's great crack. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. just proper Northern Irish boy. Like he's, uh, he's, yeah. Once again, I work with Jimmy a lot, and um, very professional actor. Always knows his lines. No issues there. Always turns up on time. You know, you can have good crack with Jimmy. It's nice working with Irish actors and Northern Northern Irish actors because. Whereas we might have a bit, bit of pretense with the Americans and some of the English actors that come over, when you're working with your own people, you can just be yourself. So yeah. there's a lot of banter, there's banter, a lot of crack, say, you know, yeah. and Jimmy is good fun as well. Like he, enjoy, he enjoys a bit of a party as well. And, you know, he's a, but as I said, very professional actor and very good on screen. You know, you can't yeah. take away from him. He is very, very good. And when he commits to something like he... When he came on Bloodlands, he had his own idea about the script, and him and the, and Chris, the uh, the writer, worked together to develop this character, and he very much invests himself in his project. You know that's what he wants, and anyway, he wants the best for them, which is a great thing to see. Whereas some actors maybe have a small part, just come over, do their bit, and go. Jimmy's not like that. He, he's very professional when it comes to it. Yeah, yeah. and what there was maybe a little bit of criticism of the, of of Bloodlands with some of the you know smaller parts. Yes. Was. Uh, yeah, uh, yes, I was a little bit shocked as well. I I'm not sure what happened. Um, we very much hired local actors. That was that was one of the premises of Bloodlands. We wanted local actors to do it. I wasn't in the edit, um, but the episode one had a few dodgy voiceovers. I thought they actually used voiceovers. I, um, well, we recorded we recorded all the audio on the day, but mm-hmm. I think some of the voices may be changed for episode one. But I wasn't in the edit, so I can't I can't say that hundred percent. But I think a few things were changed, maybe um, maybe for other audiences, you know, outside of Ireland, maybe they couldn't understand how quickly we speak. I'm not sure, but yes, could... 
I thought there was definite improvement in episode two, but episode one, there's yeah. a few bits that I was a wee bit daunted by. I thought maybe didn't work on screen as well as we thought on the day. Yeah. And um, what about, um, uh, what have you got upcoming now? You're working on uh, um, I'm just Conversation starting, with Friends? Which... Yes, Conversation with Friends, which is a sequel to... Um, Normal people. Normal people, yes. So um, I was just talking with producers today. Um, I start that uh, next on the 15th of March. So we'll be shooting that end of April until uh, the end of August. So we'll probably be out, probably uh, be out in BBC around Christmas or New Year. Yeah, yeah you didn't work on normal people, did I you? I didn't, no, no. I was working on another job at that time, um, but very much enjoyed it. I have to say it was very good. It was one of them lockdown shows a lot of people yeah. recommended, and then I eventually got around to watching it. Well, especially when I got contacted about the second season, I thought I'd better watch the yes. first season. <laughs> and uh, very, yes, very, very good, very well made. And I believe the director's a lovely man and obviously very talented, so I'm looking forward to yeah. working with him. Yeah. Uh, it, it was quite there was quite a lot of very um, intimate scenes that became you know a big talking point yes. in the first one is it going to be similar in the second one and uh, you know is there any di- do you envisage any difficulties there when it comes to uh, I mean well the whole Covid I have the scripts here um, but I can't say anything about them uh, to you yes. so um, but regards Covid yes I mean Covid changed everything for us to be honest Everything we do is close contact. You know, you have massive crews. On Line of Duty, that's the only job I've shot uh, with COVID because we finished everything shut down. Did they incorporate uh, in COVID into the, into the storyline as no, well? No, not no, not at all. No, we wanted to play the usual Line of Duty world. Yeah. So, I mean, we were just doing tests, everybody getting tested twice a week. Um, you're put in the separate groups, you're not allowed to mix. So although we had actors in hotels, they actually weren't allowed out of their own social bubble. So even if they went to the bar in the hotel, they weren't even allowed to sit in the same vicinity. People who've known each other for years and maybe are friends back home, but they weren't allowed to be together. It became very tricky. I mean, you have, even if somebody's passing somebody else a document on camera, that's them within the two meter rule. So that, that extra, that supporting artist, we would have had to put in a hotel for three days prior to shooting. We wanted to test them. They would have to get paid for three days because we have to keep them in a, in a hotel room. And then they come straight to set having not seen anybody else. I mean, one of the simple things... So it must, it must like, hugely inflate the cost of producing anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of productions can't get insured for COVID either. So the insurance companies will not insure you for COVID. So if your main actors take ill and are out for two or three weeks, what do you shoot? You know, and... See, we don't shoot chronologically. Chronologically, as you see it on camera is not, or as you see it on screen is not how we shoot. Obviously, we shoot by location or by actor availability. A lot of people don't realize that either. Yeah. So if you lose a couple of your main stars, you could have to down production for three weeks, and then the crew all want paid. The locations you'd booked still want paid. All the equipment hire, they all still want paid. Your cameras are a fortune. You know, so it's a lot of productions held off going ahead when COVID was really Especially bad. when, uh, if, it, if it's a film release, it's not going to be released in the cinema. I mean, things are going straight to Netflix and streaming services and things like that. So, I mean, that's a huge financial loss for the investors. Yeah. A, it, lot, a lot of them are holding off. A lot of the producers I know who've made films in the last year and a half are holding off until cinemas reopen because if you're a small independent, you know, you've invested a lot of your own money in these projects. And although it's great to get your film on Netflix... Um, Netflix don't pay that much for their yeah. movies and especially now in the pandemic because they know there's not a massive market for cinema I'm not, I don't know I don't work for Netflix by any means but 
I know other producers who would really rather wait, get some sort of cinema release before selling it to one of the streaming services because you never really make your money back when you do. You know, it's it's There's such a fast turnover as well on Netflix and things like that. I mean, they have something new coming on every week. So it's kind of... Although having said that, in the cinema, there's a really... Over the years, the releases in cinemas have gotten shorter and shorter too. I mean, you'll see something in the cinema and it's only there for a couple of weeks and it's gone. Whereas years years ago, these th- a movie be there for months. Yeah. Do you know, actually, one of my first ever jobs, I was a projectionist in Armagh Cinema. So I got paid to, <laughs> to put movies to watch, on and, and sit and watch films. Watch it was a great job. Last year, I worked on um, a film called Boys from County Hill. Sorry, the year before. Uh, and local local director, local producer, Chris Baugh and Brendan Mullen, two lovely lads, so it was great. They made a short film of this maybe five, six years ago and have been working on getting the funding to make a feature film. So when they got it, I was delighted when they phoned and said that I want to work on it. I turned down two other jobs to do it because they, I really liked the guys. Um, that had John Lynch uh, in it, obviously from Newry. Um, he came over, he lives in Spain, I think now, so he flew over first for that. Uh, and also a brilliant... Tyrone actor called Nigel O'Neill. Nigel's done a lot of productions recently. He's on Bad Day for the Cut on Netflix That's the as film well. I was thinking of, Bad Day for the Cut, yeah. Yes. That's a great film. So I worked with Nigel in his very first production, very first TV, and I've worked, continued to work with Nigel over the years. He's a lovely man. And um, yeah, he's, he's coming up the ranks and doing really well for himself. But I mean, this is just to give you an insight into the filmmaking and I can't say too much. But that was um that was six we shot that for six weeks all night shoots and it was all up the north coast so I travelled an hour and thirty minutes every day to get to work and back and we were doing night shoots constantly so my wife and my kids didn't see me at all for really it was eight weeks by the time you take in prep and everything else but we have obviously it's a vampire film and we have a without giving too much away we have big body vampire. That vampire, the actor that came over to do that was in prosthetics for nine hours every single day. So if we were shooting with him at four o'clock in the day, he was basically starting his makeup call at about well, six in the morning. So he'd be in at six with three makeup artists and he'd have to sit perfectly still in the makeup chair where they put all the different bits of prosthetic on and do his face and everything. Um, and then he could only really be in the suit for maybe two hours before it would start to fall apart or he would be overheating and everything. And you've tried to schedule that. Like the whole last third of the film is a big battle sequence with a head vampire. And this guy is in full percent. So he's already done his day's work by the time we even arrive in. And then he had, it was three hours to take it all off again. And then you need him for the next day's shoot as well. So he was going back to his hotel, maybe getting three, four hours kip, getting up again the next day, coming back to shoot again and go through all the prosthetics again. Um, but it'll be coming out now, hopefully towards the end of the year. Um, and uh, I hope it does really well for the guys. Because yeah. it's a real project for them. As I say, they shot short film a few years ago and have put so much work in over the years to make it and it's films like that you really want to do well especially because local local uh, director and producer as well yeah i mean the film industry here is very long hours not glamorous not not what people think it is yes you do sometimes have your lovely galas and your premieres and you know we get to drink with famous people but i mean as my wife would tell you it's very hard i have three kids and the hours we do and then when you're traveling like and you're filming all over europe or all over england or even you know dublin or cork and you're away it, it is hard to have a family and keep a career and you know it, now i can more pick and choose my jobs but when you're coming up you sort of took whatever job there was and i'd done a really good film with um colin farrell in Enniskillen of all places uh, it was called miss julie and um for me you know usually we do shows with loads of actors this was three actors it was one location and we were there for eight weeks and it was norwegian and irish uh, 
show uh, both both production companies came together to make it. But I was the first time meeting Colin Farrell, and Colin is the nicest guy. Like just, yeah, I've I mean, heard that. I day one I met him, we were rehearsing. It was a very serious drama film, and we were rehearsing for three weeks intensive rehearsals. So I met him when he arrived up with his minder, and um, he basically oh, said he had a me, minder. Oh yeah, he, he had a minder <laughs> with him. Yeah, Colin did. Yeah, because he gets flocked anywhere he goes. I'm sure he does. And then yeah. um, he. I remember I introduced myself, said who it was, anything he needs, and he sort of laughed and he says, look, you know, if I do anything that annoys you or if I, in any way, I'm not going to use an expletive, but if I'm a bleep in any way, he says, just <laughs> tell me, because the last thing I want is to come back to my own country and people think I'm a bloody Egypt, yeah. you know, and that was the first thing he said to me. So he was so grounded, so nice. And then all the stories when he was super famous in Hollywood I mean they're all true he told me about a lot <laughs> they were all and true sometimes... I thought you were going to say they're making them all up no no true. my jaw was on the floor having a couple of now he doesn't drink anymore but I would be in the hotel in his hotel and be telling me stories and I'm sitting going oh my god that's insane but he had really cleaned up his act he wasn't drinking anymore he wasn't even like, eating rubbish or anything he was he was on a health kick but he was laughing about the way he used to get on and he was like yeah I mean that was, that's all gone now and it really is he's very professional but one thing he did do to me, we were coming back from a shoot one day and we we're going back to the hotel and uh, we pulled into a petrol station in Enniskillen and they had they had an ice cream named after him because they knew he was filming there. So he, he went in and I was like, Colin, this is a bad idea, bad idea, don't go in here. And uh, he says, I'm just going in, I want a few things for the hotel. So he went in anyway, within 30 seconds, being mobbed by people. And I was just walking around getting my own stuff in the shop. That was fine. doing the, uh, Walking around the counter. And as I walked past, I looked at him. And this stage was maybe 40 women, including the staff, come out from behind the table, screaming <laughs> at him. And his bouncers trying to keep him away. And all I hear is then going, right, okay, okay. If he's want anything, that's Stephen. He's my manager. Just go to him. And I'll meet you all for photographs outside. Just give me a space. Stephen will deal with everything. And there I am walking with like six <laughs> items in my arms and I get mobbed by all these women. Meanwhile, Colin and his bouncer pays for living very quickly, jump in the Range Rover and clear off. They actually left you. Left me standing in the middle of the shop with these women screaming at me, looking, why is he driven off? And why? And he was back in the hotel bar laughing his ass off. And at that point here. you were saying, do you remember what you said to me at the beginning of this whole thing? I, uh, I <laughs> well, you have become the bleep. Yeah, yeah. I could have killed them and him and bouncer laughing their heads off when I walked into the hotel. They were just going, well, do you enjoy that? And I was like, There's, people were literally trying to hit me with their handbags because you just cleared off and I was supposed to get photographs and autographs and all. So you got the blame as well um, as everything yeah. else. But no, Colin's a really nice fella. Like, yeah, yeah, he's lovely. And his his sort of bouncer, well, it wasn't just his bouncer, it was his friend and agent um, that was with him. He said his friend was coming over to make a big Hollywood blockbuster in Belfast called Dracula, uh, Dracula Untold. Dracula Untold, yeah. Yes. And I laughed and I says, oh, Get, get me in there, you know. Us, get, yeah. get me in there, and he laughed. And he goes, "Oh, well, and I know him really well, and recommend you." So thinking nothing of it, I then get a phone call. I move on to another couple of jobs, and about six months later, I get a phone call, and it's Universal in in America saying, "You know, they'd like me to work on this job." And I was like, "Okay, we know come for an interview." And they went, "Oh no, we've been told, you know, you're the man for the job. So just come in. You're working with Chris Carreras now. Chris Carreras to normal people mean nothing." When I was doing my studies, film studies, Chris Carreras is one of the best first ADs in the world. Like I learned about him in class and oh he was God, doing films. So I was like, what? And I don't, not interviewing. And they were like, no, no, no. We we know everything we need to know. We want you to do the job. So this was amazing. I mean, I don't usually phone my parents about any job I get, but I got on the phone to them. I was like, oh my God, I'm doing this. Like it was a hundred and, what was it, 140 
million uh, budget like it was just huge huge, and I was like this is incredible but I went in for day one and I met Chris and their director and we were sitting chatting and he says oh yeah I've got a meeting later on downstairs while the HODs which are head of departments so he said that's great and I'm sitting there just thinking what am I doing here and then I go down to the table (laughs) pinching yourself yeah there's about eight eight of us maybe ten of us around the table and the director's in another meeting we're waiting for him to join us and all the guys they all know each other they're all American and English and they've all worked together many times and they're just throwing these names about they're like oh but remember Angelina remember the parachute we were doing the parachute with her but Tom Cruise doesn't like that parachute Tom likes this one and they're talking about Brad and they're talking about Mel and I remember Mel's house this happened and they start talking and I'm sitting going they're talking about the most famous actors in the world and this continued on, and then I realised that our head stuntman was Batman in all the Batman movies, the Christopher Nolan ones. He was, every time you seen Batman fighting in, in the suit, that was actually our head stuntman. He was oh Batman's God. double. And he was talking about how they've done all the Batman. And I was just sitting going, what? And I noticed myself sinking into the chair under the table going, <laughs> I'm just a kid from Armagh. What am I doing at this table? Like, it was just mind-blowing. But it's interesting because... Once again, I got the script for that and I read the script and there's a lot more character development in the script. But I think when Universal got their hands on it, they wanted more of an action-packed film. Mm. And I felt it lost a bit of its soul. Like the script was a lot better than the final film, which yeah. was a wee bit annoying as well when it I went did, to the premiere. It did well though, didn't it? I mean, it made its money back. They yeah. made their money and they made a profit on it. But it was... It is... It's weird in this industry when you see something on paper and you imagine it a certain way and then you see the final product and it's not how you imagined yeah. it. But I think that was that was one of the first films that I actually, I remember standing on the set and we'd done a massive scene. We had um, vampires attacking um, the army, basically all these massive tents. For as far as the eye could see, we had hundreds of extras dressed in full armour. And then we had all the vampires, uh, stuntmen coming in on wires and they're attacking people and dragging them off and everything. And Couldn't we had that during COVID. No, no, not at all. Uh, we, I remember going down to the set. We were filming a big, in a massive quarry up in the north coast. And um, we came down and we had four jet engines on the back of 40-foot trucks either side of the set to, for wind machines. And it was just amazing. And we were standing on top of the hill with the head cameraman, me, the director, Chris, the first AD. And I was standing just going, this is insane. And I just, we were like, right, action. And everybody coming in, all the stuntmen, everything. People sword fighting, explosions going off. The turbines from the jet engines blowing tents over. And I was like, okay, this is, this is Hollywood. Like, this is a bit different from working on a BBC drama, you know, where yeah. you have two people in a room on a crime drama or something. And that, that was quite, that was quite impressive. And I have to say, it's funny because after that, I got a lot of calls to, to continue working with Universal. Um, but... There's, there's sort of different grades you can work here in TV and film. Like, I'm a bit of a home bird, so I don't mind traveling every now and again, but I don't want to relocate in America. Yeah. But a lot of them big jobs, they, once once you prove yourself to them, they will take you on, but you just travel around the world for nine months of the year. Um, It's great if you're young yeah. and that's what you want well, to you're, do. You're married with kids. You don't married know. with kids. Doing that wasn't really ideal. And I kept getting offers for the next maybe 18 months after that. The same crew would contact me saying, oh, we're doing this shoot. Now, I was always working here locally and there's a lot more money to be earned in the big budget stuff, like double your wage. Yeah. But You were tempted. I was absolutely tempted, yes. Uh, but, I mean, some of the peers I work with, when I talk to them, especially the guys that I really idolised in the industry, a lot of them were divorced twice. They have lovely yeah. houses around the world, maybe three houses. But, like, I remember one director You're living saying, out of a suitcase. He hadn't seen his kids in... You know, he'd fallen out with his 
two previous wives he hadn't seen his kids in nine months and there's always the fear although you say right i'm gonna finish after this job this is six months i'm gonna take three months off there's always that fear that if you don't take the next job somebody else does mm. and then you're out of favor and you're always freelance so you're always looking for your next job and he explained to me like him and his son both worked and um, they were both ad's and they they worked all around the world on fast and the furious and you name it they'd done them all but yeah neither of them seemed very happy you know they had lots yeah. of money and they had their houses but they didn't have a they were just missing a bit of life and exactly, yeah. when i tossed it up and i said to my wife you know i already do long hours as it is but i said at least i can usually stay in ireland come home most nights and you know still earn a wage that'll keep us uh you know that's what we decided to do yeah. but um yeah i mean there's there's a lot of stuff um you know ireland and northern ireland has um the film industry there's a lot of um, people coming here i think game of thrones was probably a big thing that um you know that show showcased ireland absolutely yeah i mean it is cheaper to film here um purely on uh, location costs i mean just as a quick example i remember one location manager when we were shooting in london was saying uh where we park our trucks imagine our unit base is it's huge you have a lot of trucks and a lot of crude cars to park up so you have to buy out a whole car park he could buy a car park out for six weeks eight weeks in belfast and he maybe would be able to do that in london for three days for the cost so you know when you're trying to move the other thing is northern ireland has is we can have cityscape so you can do city center scenes in one half of the day you can pack up and be in the countryside in 30 yeah. minutes that is a massive advantage you try and do that in london you're having to move the whole unit maybe for 24 hours to, to be able to shoot countryside so also the locations we have it's a beautiful country you know when people come here yeah, and just I see love that it. There's, that, what is it the norseman is nicole kidman yes film? They, a lot of my friends worked on that they just finished yeah yeah because we i was out at the sleeve donner's hotel over the summer and saw all their production vans yes. all parked yeah. up there and i was wondering god how hard is it going to be to make something like something like that they, they, camped in the hotel I'd say a lot of my team worked on that um, and yeah that, that, that had a lot of issues especially with Covid you know it was very well, difficult and the locations a lot of shooting on the side of mountain tops and everything and a lot of hiking it, up mountains yes. for all those big with stars with loads of equipment yeah. well the stars <laughs> would be flown in they'd come in in a helicopter but all the crew so they just get climb. flown to the top of the mountain and everyone else has to climb up with their cameras and most of the big cast yes <laughs> the yeah, sharpest pretty much yeah that's it like, yeah the actors don't have to you try not to make them do the strenuous work you know they get treated nicely um oh, i can tell you about a stunt going wrong actually oh so, yeah yeah so we do a lot of um obviously in the big films as well you do a lot of stunts and you have a whole stunt team over and these guys uh, have a they're on a different wavelength to a normal human so we had one stunt on a film called your highness uh, danny mcbride and james franco film i worked on and uh, we would i actually worked in the stunts unit i mean one stunt where the guy is thrown off the back of a carriage it's been uh, drawn by six horses i think it was and you know you should obviously you shoot bit by bit so he's fighting on top of the carriage james franco wraps a stirrup around his neck and throws him off the back of the carriage and he gets dragged along the the road that's the simple version of it obviously it takes a lot longer to shoot that yeah but we got on the stage where he's on and he gets thrown off the back onto a big cushion and we can fake the carriage moving we can just rattle it but the bit where he actually gets dragged on the ground he was sitting in the back of the carriage and we have were to hold all the crew we're all hidden on this in the forest and we're saying if anything goes wrong no crew come out the only people that can stop the horses are the horse wranglers because that's who the horses know and the guy's sitting on the back of the carriage with a big steel plate from basically the back of his neck down to cover the bottom of his bum and he slides off onto the ground and then he's being dragged with steel plate actually hitting the ground so he doesn't really get hurt now yeah. he still gets hurt that's normal for a stunt man but he's mainly protected 
So first take we done, we got them up to speed. All the horses were going to galloping, and um, he went off the back, and he hit a stone. The steel plate hit oh a stone, God. and he turned upside down, and he was dragged for maybe quarter of a mile on a rocky, stony road oh. in the middle of a forest. And uh, we were stationed throughout the road, you know, in case anything happened. But of course, people seen this and people started running out to try and stop the horses immediately. And that spooked the horses more because it wasn't the horse wranglers. So we eventually got them stopped. And the guy's forehead, his skin had basically peeled from the top of his forehead down to his face. It was absolutely terrible. And I ran over. I was one of the first people to run over to get the medics. And it was scary. You were sitting watching it and you just seen this whole guy, just a stunt go wrong and his whole skin being peeled. It was, it was horrendous. Um, and then we were sitting around in a circle, myself, the director, our head cameraman, the DOP, all sitting going, what are we going to shoot? This was our stunt. And then one of the other stunt men just walked over and sort of broke our circle and went, sorry, are you saying, like, what, I'll do it. And everybody just looked at him and was like, did you not just see your friend being dragged? And he goes, yeah, but we're stunt men. This is what we do. I'll do it. Get a wig on me. Get me a replica costume i'll do it we can hide my face and everybody looked at me again was you sure and he went on he done it six times successfully oh and God. it was absolutely fine but the mentality of seeing somebody you know and you work with being so seriously injured and then to turn around and go yeah i'll do that that's fine it was we were just they're in made awe of different stuff they then, are, aren't they they are they are like fear doesn't really have i don't know i, I couldn't none of us tom, could get it tom cruise you know? does his own stunts doesn't he tom's very famous for it yeah yeah, yeah a lot of his own stunts yeah yeah, he's that would, very physical. And that would probably... Um, it's hard to insure, Tom. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Could he get insured for that? Um, I'm trying to think, what, is there any other interesting stories? Um, I could talk about Dublin murders. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Dublin murders was nine months of my life. Really? <laughs> was, yeah, like eight one-hour episodes takes a long time to make. Uh, but it was it was an amazing show to work on. Um, very dark. We hadn't done something like that here before. It was very more very noir. Yeah. And a dark look into the Garda and murders and everything. And I don't think it got the success that we all hoped for. Um, although we knew the ending was a bit ambiguous, we knew that anyway, and even we all discussed it. But we thought it worked. I think there was a lot of uh, anger in the last episode when it wasn't really explained yeah. what happened in the forest. Um. But it was an, an like amazing, amazing show to work on. With like, uh, work with Tom Vaughan Lawler, um, obviously famous Irish actor for Love Hate. I think it was one of his big breakthrough hits. But Tom was flying between us and uh, Avengers Endgame in LA, so he was shooting with them one day, um, because he's he plays one of the bad guys, one of Thanos's right hands. And then he would write back to us the next day in the Dublin murders and be telling us all about Robert Downey Jr. and what it was like working on Avengers. Oh, and what did he say about Robert Downey Jr.? He said Robert was lovely. He said everybody... He's another one that used to be a former, a reformed bad boy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, I mean, one of the stories he told me, one of the first day he met um, Robert Rob, uh, he says they were sitting in the studio and it was his first day on it. And Tom says he's a wee bit nervous himself. And he's sitting in the makeup chair telling me this story. And we were, me and the makeup artist were in stitches. And he says... Uh, it was very cold in the studio and Tom said one of the runners he goes like anyway turn up the heat and they're like oh no 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 Mr. Mr. Downey Jr. likes at this temperature this is what he likes so we don't dare touch the temperature and he's like okay and he said you could feel there's a lot of people like as, as uh, Robert Downey was coming towards the set there was a lot of a lot of hush and people running about and all and he's like my god he said it started to make me as another actor feel nervous and he says he came in and he walked straight over to Tom shook his hands gave him a hug chatting away at him and Tom was like, this guy's lovely. Like, you know, what's all the fuss about? And he sat down beside him and uh, Tom turned around and he was like, yeah, it's awful cold in the studio. And Rob was like, yeah, 
it's always freezing in here. I don't know why. It's always freezing. I keep on, I wish they turned the heat up. And Tom went, no, that's because you one day said it was too warm. And they're afraid they turned up. And Robert was like, you are joking me. Right, what's going on with the heat in this? And then the heat was fixed. In this. But oh they were so God. scared to even ask him because one day he so said... So they were just fawning too... over him. Absolutely. <laughs> so Tom said that was funny. But no, he said really, really nice guy. So yeah. what is your, um, what would you say is your, um, the favourite, your favourite film that our, our show that you worked on? What's your proudest in uh, terms of the, how it turned out and the whole thing, the whole lot? That's a really good question. I don't, I don't actually know. I'd have to think. Um, you don't annoy anybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was a film I worked on called Startup. Um, I was just going to mention Startup because that's with... Jack O'Connell. Jack O'Connell. Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah. That, that was an interesting film to work on. Um, it w- We've shot it all in uh, Crumlin Road Jail. Uh, that's where it was all shot. My Whereas I would usually be in a... You know, a reasonably nice office at the unit base, like although it is a truck, it's all converted. I my office for that was one of the prison cells in the oh, East lovely. Wing. <laughs> so the director wanted all the actors, rather than have a nice green room or a nice trailer to go back to when they weren't filming, they had to go back to their cell and I would have to lock them in basically if they wanted to go to the toilet. Method acting. So he wanted them all to feel like it is a jail and because we're all filming there. Um but I mean one of the massive issues we had was uh, they wanted a lot more black people in the jail because it was supposed to be an English jail. We don't have that many black people in Belfast. I mean, there is some people, but they're not all extras. And when you're trying to fill a courtyard with 200 prisoners and the the director wants 180 of them to be not white people, that's very difficult for us. But uh, Bell Melanson came in and um, he's an amazing actor, amazing actor, but he is uh, creative is how I'm trying to think diplomatic way of putting it. Like he takes it very serious and he and he is a genuine so he gets into man, his character gets into his character i mean he bought my wife a massive bunch of flowers and sent them to my house got got the my home address from the production office and sent my wife a massive bunch of flowers and said you know you deserve a lot more for putting up with Stephen for this long and the joke <laughs> like he thought it was funny my wife phoned me one day i was like i just got a bunch of flowers from ben and i was laughing and we got on great but um it was a really hard job like every night we would finish We'd finish the shoot and then the schedule for the next day would change. So, you know, I'd be there, as I say earlier, I'd be there from 6.45. I'd be trying to get home at half seven, trying to get out the commute back to Armagh. And we would, everything would change for the next day because maybe we didn't get what we wanted shot or we need to shoot something different because of extras or actors. And I'd be there for another five hours, you know, trying to work out the schedule for the next day and trying to put everything in place and phoning actors at two in the morning saying, look, I'm sorry, but I'm going to send the car for you at half six. Can you be there and be ready? Yeah. And it really, it was a real struggle, like a very hard. But then when I seen it, I was like, that was actually yeah, amazing. Fantastic. I mean, yeah, the, really the casting was brilliant. We had, we, had brilliant ca- we had brilliant actors anyway. But it, you know, it didn't get, it was a film four production, so it didn't get worldwide fanfare. Yeah. But actually, if you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend it. Yeah, it's no, a great yeah, prison drama. It is very good. And we had, we had real prisoners next prison guards in who told us like, that's not how it would be done. This is how it would be done. How he, built, how he makes the shiv. Or did the toothbrush handle and all that? Like that was all so down to minute detail. Like and a lot of that's down to David uh, Mackenzie, the director as well. He researched a lot of it, but it was. I remember many nights coming home and my wife just going, just give up. Like it's you, you know, not give up my career, but give up on this job because I'm always getting job offers and she's like, there's easier jobs out there. But I've never left the job yet, so I was like, yeah. no, I'm gonna see it out. And there was nights where I'm nearly in tears coming down the road. You know, where Gosh. I was just physically and mentally exhausted. 
Yeah. But a lot of it was night shoots as well. Um. So I mean, <laughs> funny people say that it's one of the most haunted places in Ireland. Coming in jail. I can tell you now, I sat in that cell many nights on my own, working away in a prison cell, and I never seen a ghost, never heard a ghost, oh. never seen anything at all, <laughs> as much as I'd love to for the crack. I never witnessed anything spooky in that building. But no, I'd say that's probably one of the jobs I'm most proud of after seeing it on screen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was very good. And Line of Duty, obviously. I was going to say about Line of Duty. No, Line of Duty's been a massive success for I me. Mean, Jed Mercurio was the, the creator. He also helped create the script for Bloodlands. And it's a massive hit. I mean, worldwide, the amount of people that yeah. have mentioned well, that great. and it's... talked to me about it is insane. And uh, I know, I know the three actors so well. Um, and actually, I should probably say one of the nicest actors I ever worked with was Tandy Newton, who was in season oh, right. four, I think, of Line of Duty or five. She played um, Roz, who was one of the main main actors that season. Lovely woman. But I have to say, the main three cast of Line of Duty, like all of them, were great. I know them all so well. Um, they bought me that sign for from the office on the last season. Okay, I have to tell you, it's a little sign that says "fixer of everything." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah they came in and gave me that on their last day of shooting with me. Um, thought it was funny because uh, they basically come with all their issues and somehow I try and work it out for them. Yeah. But no, lovely, lovely cast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when's confident. the next season coming out? Oh, it starts on the twenty, the end of March. The end of March. Yeah, yeah. So, so we don't have long to wait now. No, we finished it on the twenty sixth of November last year. So yeah, it comes out the end of March. So, it's it's another good one. I'd say everybody's gonna like it now. Yeah. yeah. What um, would you recommend for um anybody starting if they wanted to get into this? How do you think they would go about it? I mean, it's not for everybody. You know, yeah. as I say, you get the wee spark of glamour here and there, but the majority of it's really long hours, really cold work. You're standing outside most of the day. Um, you usually have to start at the bottom of the ladder and work your way up and that can take many years to do as well. Um, you only really start earning any decent money as you get up the ladder. Like the starting yeah. wage for a runner is 550 pounds. But even week. to become a runner, how would you even go about Would you start start going to film school? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, Queen's Film Studies is a good start. Um, go and do film studies there. Uh, I mean, do short films. There's a lot of um, like media therapy as a group on Facebook and they are often looking for volunteers to make short films so get in make a couple of short films help out with the crews because on short films a lot of us professionals are working in as well if you had a week off and somebody's trying to do a project that you like or maybe you know the person you want to help out we would go in and, and shadow them and sort of go look this is what you need to do and help them out and you go on the shorts and then you meet real crew members like paid crew members who then can recommend you to another department you yeah. know so a lot of our guys have started that way they've done short films and then somebody said do you know Stevie Dara? Yeah. I'll give you his email address. Email him your CV. I just got like, I got four in the last couple of days from people I've never heard of before, but they've worked with other members of my team. And then, you know, I might need a runner on one day where somebody's taken ill or we need, we have lots of extras in. I'll give somebody a shout and they usually have one day to prove themselves. And you can tell within usually an hour if they're going to make it or not. You know, um, right. there is a certain mentality. Like on Line of Duty, we... It was so busy here because of COVID. Then we, we had piled all our work together. We found it very hard to get a team. And I had to get some new people into my department I had never worked with before. And I will rehire them. They really proved themselves and they were very, very good. And that was through word of mouth. I mean, the, the hardest part is getting established and getting constant work. Like the year I got married, I'll never forget this. Uh, I worked up to December. I was getting married in uh, June. 
and I had two jobs planned, one starting in January and another one starting the end of March. And I thought this is great. I love money for my wedding and everything. The first job got pushed. Aww. So it basically they weren't starting in January anymore. They're now going to start end of February, which collided with my other job I'd booked in. So I had to sort of choose one and then the two of them got cancelled. Oh dear. And the year I got married, I did not bro. work from Christmas <laughs> up to June. And we can't create work for ourselves. Like we could only work on projects when they're there. You can't quite create work. And my only saving grace, I was a DJ in Armagh for years and used to DJ in the Northern Bar. So I always had that bit of extra money coming in and that tidied me through. You weren't DJ um, when Marty Rafferty was telling oh, us I, about the, the shooting? No, I wasn't DJ that <laughs> night, no. I got a call that night though, it was very interesting from the barman going, you're not going to believe it just happened. <laughs> and I was like, are my decks all right? That's all I was worried about. <laughs> no, because, yeah. the, the, because Marty Rafferty and his crew were all hiding underneath them, yeah. hiding behind them. I know exactly when I was listening to Marty, I was laughing because I know exactly where he was hiding as well it was like yeah my dad are just in around the corner um so i always had a, a bit of an income coming in to keep me uh taking over but it is it's tricky for young people coming through you know i would anybody who wants to start i would definitely say have something else there to take you over when you're not working in the industry because until you get into a team and until you are established and you're getting constant work it can be a struggle um, i mean one of the most embarrassing film stories <laughs> i have is a uh, very localized for Armagh, but um, it's I was actually asked. I went to St Pat's Grammar School, and I was asked to come back and do um what I thought was a Q and A with the media class. I thought that's grand. Yes, I'll come in, you know, and have a chat with them and answer questions. They arrived up in the day, and it was actually praise given for the whole final year, and I had to get up and give a speech. And I didn't want to give anything away, but I had no speech ready at all. I, I was ready to go in and sit at the end of a table and or the end of a classroom and take questions and answer them and tell them what it's like in the film industry. And I was walking in there going, oh my God, I did I completely did not realise what this you was. You didn't read the brief. I, and it, was, it was horrendous. And I, I walked up and I stood on the stage of the school. I hadn't been back in the school since I left in seventh year. And um, I was so intimidated. I walked on the stage. I was like, oh my God. I'm just, I mean, this. I'm talking like the day before this, I had given a presentation to 20 actors, 300 extras in a massive auditorium about how we were shooting a battle sequence the next week. You know, not a problem. Talked to all these people and described everything. All of a sudden on that stage and having to talk about film and it was a disaster. I just, I still have <laughs> nightmares about it. Like I've done... I've done so many different shoots all over Europe and if someone was to say the worst thing ever about filmmaking was actually that day and I remember <laughs> coming out of the school just going I don't know what it was the intimidation of going back to the school that you, you went to and all of a sudden you were a small prepped. boy again <laughs> I just I felt like an 11 year old back in first year and it was a disaster and I often laugh about it because if anybody ever does ask me most of them actually it's not really film related but that is my the one thing if I could do over again that would be it like, and uh, yeah all right well listen it's been brilliant talking to you Stephen yeah and hearing all the mad stories yeah I mean I would have to just reiterate and my wife would back me up in this it is if you're if you're really serious but if you really love movies and you love tv and you want to do it be prepared it is a really hard job it's long hours it's hard to have a family when you do it you know there's months go by I might not see my kids because I'm away traveling somewhere um and you have to be dedicated but yeah. if you are dedicated and you do love like I, I love movies you yeah. go into my living room and see my cinema setup you know I, I I enjoy more than turning off the lights and watching a good serious film you know I love my career I do and I can't imagine doing anything else so if you have the love for it and you really do want to do it 
give it a go. You know, and the industry here is growing every single day. There's more people coming into the industry, and um, there's more jobs. Um, but just be prepared. It's not glamour. It's not. It's not going to celebrity balls and everything else. It's hard work, but it is very nice. rewarding. When you see your name for the first time coming up on a cinema screen, I, I, like you have to pinch yourself. I, and I remember sitting in the Odeon in Belfast, just watching that, and I was like, "Our movie house, sorry." And that feeling the first time is is magical. You're like, oh my god, my name's actually on something that I created, yeah. you know. So, yeah, who knows? Maybe somebody listening to this, I might see in the coming years as part of my team. Yeah. Never know. Okay, well, listen, thanks a lot, Stephen. Thank you very much. Well, that was a really great chat with Stephen. I think we all got a great insight into what goes on in the making of our favourite TV shows and films. Don't forget to keep getting all of your news from Arma Eye, and I hope you join us on the podcast next time. Black Hill Energy, heating homes across County Armagh. Fill up your tank for a rainy day with County Armagh's fastest growing fuel company. For latest prices, visit our website at www.blackhillenergy.net or call us today on 02838 344 223. Black Hill Energy, Ansborough Industrial Park, Lurgan.